Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. I think we can get what St. Peter was thinking. In that moment, on that mountain, on that day, Peter's three great theological heroes were right there before him. Jesus, flanked by Moses and Elijah, all in one place. This is a fantastic scene. On a mountain, a new Sinai, maybe even already, the heavenly Zion foretold. For Peter, this is the perfect church moment with all of his favorite pastors and his friends, James and John. So let's try to put time in a bottle and capture that moment for all eternity, setting up tents, and then people can come and flock. One tabernacle in the wilderness wasn't enough in the Exodus, as impressive as that was. So let's build three, Peter says. It's time for a capital campaign and a building project. <laughs> and again, all the world will flock to see and hear God's greatest teachers in this permanent, eternal congregation. Let's capture this moment for eternity. I think we get what St. Peter was thinking. We get it because we probably all had that same kind of mountaintop experience at some point in our life. And we're always trying to get back to what and return to back to what we once had. Maybe we imagine even a time and a place, if you've been around long enough, that this congregation was the Mount of Transfiguration for us, a packed church although it's good to see so many of you here today, of course, with impressive music, brass and organ and choir, and promises being made of a better future, even better. Maybe we even felt like our faces were aglow from the glory of God, and not just from the candles we were holding at that full Christ Mass. If only, we think, if we had stopped to assess that moment, like Peter did in that time, and place, and done whatever we could have to just keep that party going. If we had locked down our families and this congregation and this world, in that moment, that beautiful moment that we remember, maybe building a tabernacle of a sort, then we could get back to it. We could keep coming back to it anytime we wanted. Of course, this is nostalgia, and nostalgia is a cruel mistress or idol. Our youthful naivete shapes our memory of the past. We don't actually remember things accurately. Especially when we were small children, everything was bigger and bolder and better. Of course, before we were worn down by the weathering storms of this life. The past can't describe the present, even though the past certainly contributes to this time. And even more so, the future is as unknown to us as it ever has been. It's known only to God. Jesus warns us explicitly against what St. Peter tried to do, to go backward 
to Mount Sinai and to Moses. Jesus also explicitly warns us about worrying about the future, what tomorrow brings. He makes no promises about what five or 10 or 20 years will look like. As far as we know, Jesus may take us from this veil of tears in our sleep this very night. Or maybe he has another 168 years for us. God only knows. And so, we actually hear God re completely rejecting St. Peter's idea. <laughs> the cloud of God's glory overshadowed them. No surprise with the talk of tabernacles. And the voice of the Father repeated the proclamation from Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But he adds two words. Hear him. Returning to Sinai, where it appeared that the mountain was being consumed by fire and smoke, that's not an option for Jesus and his church. At first, the elders, of course, were overjoyed at Sinai because they got to go up onto the mountain and dwell there and to feast with God. But then remember that when Moses came back down after 40 days, of course, they had built their idol, the golden calf, but when Moses came back with the tablets of stone and recited all of God's commands to them, nobody wanted to listen to him. They hated the word that he spoke because they hated the strict demands that God put on them at Sinai, as evidenced by demanding that Moses put the veil over his face when he wasn't speaking with them, his face shining with the terrible glory of God, or terrifying. So going back to Sinai is not really an option. But what about with Elijah? Let's go back to Mount Carmel, where Elijah defeated all the representatives of the false religions of this world as he defeated those prophets of Baal. Going back to Mount Carmel isn't an option for Jesus and his church either. Yes, there was an impressive worship event when the altar and the fire and the water and even the stones of the altar were consumed with fire from heaven. And Elijah, well, had the false teachers of Baal slaughtered in the valley of Kishon. Maybe we don't want to go back to there where it's a really bloody, deadly affair. And remember what happened because of what God gave Elijah to do that day. As impressive as that worship moment was, it inflamed Jezebel and Ahab's murderous wrath all the more. It wasn't long after that impressive divine service that Elijah was stuck in a cave, afraid for his life, fearing that he was the only faithful prophet left. No, you wouldn't want to go back to Carmel with Elijah any more than Sinai with Moses. Both were scenes just like the Mount of Transfiguration. P Peter's first words his good Lord to be here, those quickly changed as the disciples fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Just as Moses and Elijah had frequently struck fear and terror into the people, so does now the voice from heaven. Remember, the job of Moses and Elijah is primarily as disciplinarians and taskmasters, giving rules and laws, demands, that would keep the people safe until the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would come. 
Nearly everyone hated Moses and Elijah, believers and unbelievers alike, because of the word that they were given to speak. Maybe St. Peter forgot his Bible stories that he learned in Sunday school or catechesis in his synagogue school, like we do in our school. But that's not the end of the story. Who said Sinai or Calvary, or excuse me, Carmel, Moses and Elijah, that's not who Jesus is. So Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Do not be afraid. Now that's a new message. (laughs) Moses and Elijah, like John the Baptist, all had their given role to play. But once the promised Messiah Christ came, they must decrease as he increases. Indeed, now that you have Jesus, you can finally escape all that past and nostalgia for what once was. It was there for a time and a purpose. God put those men in that place, used them and everyone and everything in their time to bring us and to bring them to this moment. But you can't even capture this moment in a bottle, as beautiful as today is for us, with children singing and joyous songs. Any more than you can go back to what was or make any guarantee about what will be. God the Father and his son Jesus corrects that way of thinking today. Lift up your eyes and see Jesus only. Hear him and follow him wherever he takes you. See Jesus only, hear him and follow him. Because Jesus holds all time in his hands. Because he is, of course, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he will take you when and where he wills. He doesn't say it's always going to be easy or that it's going to be spectacular like it was for Moses and Elijah. You might not even ever get a mountaintop experience like Peter, James, and John did. In all likelihood, Jesus warns you to expect the opposite. Here's a bit of a side note. The transfiguration is recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not by St. John. St. John, who was there on that mountain, he omits it from his gospel. Indeed, actually, through his whole gospel, he speaks of the glory that is to come, and that glory finally only comes explicitly when Jesus suffers and dies at the cross. John gets the point. Right before they went up on the high mountain, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus promises that if you hear him, follow him, it will actually be a burden of a sort. You will suffer for his sake and for the confession with your lips of his good name. And then after the gospel text for today, later in the same chapter, Jesus says to his disciples again, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and the third day will be raised up. And at this word, they were exceedingly sorrowful. 
On either side of the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus foretells both their cross-bearing and ultimately his cross. He wants to draw their eyes out of spectacular visions of heaven coming amongst them and rather to fix their eyes on him, namely on his suffering and death for their forgiveness, life, and salvation. That's the way of Jesus. That's the path that Jesus sets before them and us. It only goes through death and resurrection. There's no other way through the valley of the shadow of death to have feet guided into the way of peace. So beginning today, our congregation, this congregation, will begin to remember the Exodus journey again, and also the Babylonian captivity, as we'll spend weeks in introspection, looking to eliminate anything that is getting in the way of us living as forgiven children of God. The story that we heard today mirrors our story. The story of the Exodus and the story of the Babylonian captivity mirrors our story, where we bear crosses for the sake of Christ, while being raised to live again in the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't, it doesn't do any good to try to go back or to make promises about the future other than what Christ himself has said. The only way through is not trying to go back to the past or conjuring up some imaginary future, but to go where Jesus goes, listening to him. His instructions aren't complicated. They're simple and they're good. We've heard many of them today, singing a new song, or as we celebrate National Lutheran Schools Week, instructing children in the way they should go, according to the proverb, praying without ceasing, loving your neighbor as yourself, all good and simple. Maybe not easy, though. But as we go with Jesus, the reason we are to look to him and him alone is because of the gospel promises that are ours in him. These gospel promises lighten even the load of our crosses. He says to go and make disciples by baptizing all nations in his holy name and teaching them to observe all the things that he's commanded. Teach them the word. He's given us that lovely gift of the absolution of our sins. He's given us to preach the gospel in season and out. And today to receive his body and blood for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. As a matter of fact, today you will have a mount of transfiguration after receiving Christ's body and blood, you will hear the Lord himself say to you that his face shines upon you, not a face of fear and terror, but the face of the only begotten Son of God, giving you peace. So maybe we can sing, "'Tis good, Lord, to be here, wherever Jesus is for you with his gifts, be it on the mountain or in the plain, going through death or in life. Thanks be to Jesus in his holy name. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org. That's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.